Hello everyone and welcome to BYOB, Bring Your Own Blockbuster. It's an absolute joy to be back with you reviewing it another is. amazing film from our childhood. Hello, Jack William Hussey. Actually, let me give you your, your proper introduction this week. Okay, um, go on. Introducing <laughs> a heavyweight of the podcast scene, the dancing destroyer, the king of sting, the count of Monte Fisto <laughs> and the master of disaster. <laughs> Jack William Hussey, how are you, mate? I'm all good, thank you, mate. I'm all good. Um, if you were just going to stop on heavyweight there, I was going to be like, look, mate, no, no, no fat jokes. It's all right, come on, this is a safe space. So let's keep it friendly. But, can you imagine? You know, yeah. It just, just started with a punch like that. Here he goes. And here he is, a fat podcaster. <laughs> Jack Hussey. Yes, he isn't breaking the stereotype. He is an overweight, white, hairy, middle-aged man. And he's on a podcast. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. How are you, mate? Uh, right? Oh, dear. I'm good. I'm good, mate. How, are you? How, how, how was being abroad? Yeah, good. I I went to the um I went to the airport and recovered my suitcase. I am you so got it. happy. I got it back. I'm, mate, I'm genuinely mate. I'm genuinely pumped for you. I know like, because that stuff doesn't happen, does it? No. That, like just in case you weren't listening to the podcast week. Exactly. I like an absolute oaf went to um I was <laughs> going away with my with my missus and uh, we got a very early flight in the morning and I just walked off without my bag. Um, got to the gate and I realized I'd left it somewhere, went to Athens, came back and it was handed into lost property. So I've got to do something to thank the universe. Do you know what I mean? I've got to do something to that, that, like, I, I feel like I owe someone a good favor, you know, pass it on. Is there maybe anything you make, need? <laughs> I think maybe make a wholesome informative and entertaining film podcast there you go that that could be you Bosh, paying something done my universe, bit all right done all my right. bit there absolutely we go. There we go. um give me the juice you've been to the cinema this week i have been to the cinema well look we both know we've seen the same thing in the cinema this week this i think this oh. is a first i think yes. this is a byob first I'm so excited to do it i'm excited that we've been to the see the same film which was it was like, because, you know, we are sheep. Guardians of the Galaxy Part 3. I felt like a sheep, I'll be honest. Yeah. I, I just think sometimes, right, you need to shelve the ego and just bow down to the zeitgeist, right? You just have to be like, look, this is a thing that's happening. I think what intrigue... Okay, I'll, I'll preface this by saying... I'm not somebody that's just obstinately, I don't like Marvel because I don't think it's cinema or whatever. I don't really buy into that. I just don't really, I haven't really enjoyed them that much. You know, they, they just don't really stand out for me. And that's fine. Lots of people love them and I don't judge anybody for loving that. I will say though, of the Marvel films, because I've probably seen most of them. I think there's a few here and there that I haven't seen. But of them... I've always enjoyed the Guardians of the Galaxy films. I will say that. I, I, I do think they're just, they're good fun. They're not really even superhero movies. No. Do you know what I mean? They're no. kind of like, it's like banter Star Wars. That's, yeah. that's how I'd yeah. classify it. Um, and I think they're quite good fun. And I, I, I guess from the, sort of from the early noise I'd seen around this Guardians of the Galaxy, 
compared to, say, the latest Thor film, the latest Ant-Man film, The Eternals, basically everything that Marvel have done post-Endgame, people were actually saying, this is brilliant, it's really, really good, and all the rest of them have been quite crap. So I thought, look, you know what, let's just let's just go check it out. And, well, I mean, before, before I give my anointed view on the film <laughs> what, what led you to go and watch it mate because i'm i'm interested because I, I think you're in a pretty similar boat to me right with the whole marvel yeah, yeah, yeah. thing yeah 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 when it comes to marvel i'm not it doesn't i'm not one of those people that sees the release of a marvel film or a big marvel sort of blockbuster as the kind of event of the year for the cinema no. to me it's yeah. kind of like okay um so i'd i'd got back and I hadn't been to the cinema last week because I was away. So I was desperate to kind of just... It's a, it's a really strange thing. I don't know whether you get this. I sometimes get like the itch if I haven't been to the cinema for a little while. I'm 100%. a little bit like, oh, get me in there. I want to sit down and watch a good film. And it, it, no matter how much Netflix or Disney or whatever you watch, it's that nothing can replace going to the cinema and... and Nope. Being sat in the total darkness, and I love going to the cinema on my own as well. This is another thing. So, I can't remember what night it was that I texted you. I think it might have been Friday, possibly Friday or Saturday. Saturday. So I'd, I'd, Saturday, I'd yeah. been to Spurs, watched, sort of worked in the day, watched Spurs win, which is lovely. I'd got home, and it was kind of like six, seven p.m., and I was like, "There's time to sneak in a cinema trip." So yeah. I jumped online, and I was like, "Right, what's on?" And this is one of my biggest bugbears it drives me absolutely mad when you sit there and you go through the showing times and nothing jumps at you like yeah. nothing this week jumped at me um there was there was one that you, you you'd mentioned um the pilgrim the unlikely pilgrimage of harold fry yeah and i and i would have absolutely given that a go um i haven't seen it but i, I hear it's you know nice i hear it's one of those I think Kermode calls them like, no, it might be Mayo, one of the two of them. You know, it can be even one. They usually call those type of British movies tea and biscuits films. And Perfect. I quite like that. You know, Perfect. it's, yeah. Like, well, uh, and I think Penelope it's a good Wilton example as well. Penelope yeah. Wilton, like, I liked her anyway. And then when I saw her in Afterlife, I just thought her character was so moving and just so lovely. I, I was when I saw that she was in it, I was like, yeah, I'll have a bit of that. Unfortunately, that wasn't shown anywhere. So I went to do Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, um, popped in, got in there and grabbed hold of a litre of Fanta Zero. I, I, I was literally going to say, <laughs> you did something before you went into the screen, mate. Like, so I a litre. I, I, I can't believe they sell them in litres now. The size like, of it, mate, is frightening. Like, I think it's as big as my head, the actual, <laughs> the actual like, cup that you have it from. Um, got in there, sat down, no snacks. No snacks? Kind of, oh, interesting. Yeah, I felt like I'd done too many of these cinema trips on my own recently where I just <laughs> sat there just feeding from a trough. You know, it was just... It you was got the big out. boy popcorn. Yeah, it was getting out of control. So I got myself a, I got myself a, a thing of fizzy pop. And, can and I, can I just there. ask you quickly to interject on this one, mate? With, mm. with the popcorn. Now, my local brand of cinema is an Odeon. There are many other brands of cinema. If okay. anybody 
from this any of those cinema chains. I love where you're going cares, cares to sponsor the podcast. I am, you know, it, it, I, I'm not exclusively an Odeon patron. It just happens to be the nearest cinema to me. Sure. Um, but do you find, right, so you'll have the small, medium, large popcorn, right? Small popcorn will be like £3.80. Yep. Whereas the large popcorn will be like £4.60. Generally meaning the one in between, the medium, will be like four twenty or so. And I do have that thing in my head where I'm like, I should just buy the small popcorn because that's all you really need. You need that, por- that's a good portion size and that's fine. However, I can get one four times the size for like 50p more. <laughs> of course I'm getting a large popcorn. And then Absolutely. end up eating too much popcorn so you feel all like bloated and it's sitting there in your stomach. But it... That's a thing, right? Or is that just me? No, 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 absolutely. I also would like to, just on top of that, I found this weekend, and this is tragic to admit, I made my decision on what cinema I was going to based on the Fantasy Road. <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally, I was like, I've got, I'm, I'm halfway between an Everyman and a nice. and an Odeon, and I love going okay. to the Everyman. I do, I do yeah. really quite like it. Um, but they're expensive, very, but it's, it's nice. a bit spenny, yeah. isn't it? And it feels a bit, it feels a bit bougie when you go in. You sort of feel can, like, oh, can, I'm treating myself. Can I also, sorry to interrupt you again, no, mate, no, just because you've, 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 you've opened this one. The only thing I didn't like about it, and I, I, I love the Everyman. I like what it stands for. I like the service to yourself. Like you say, it is quite bougie, that type of thing. But th- herein lies the problem for me a little bit, mate. Like when I last went to the, to me, it's like, you go to Zimmer, it's, it's popcorn and a soft drink. Maybe, maybe if you just fancy something a bit different. And this, I would say, if I go to the cinema, let's say a, a, a conservative estimate, 100 times a year, right? If I go to the cinema 100 times a year, I would say on no more than three occasions will I get nachos instead of popcorn if I'm having a snack. But I will sometimes get nachos. When I was in the Everyman... There's fucking people all around me ordering burgers and flatbreads yeah, and pizza. And wild. I, I just, it was, I don't know. I'm I not wasn't, on board. No, are you not? No, nor am I, because no, no. I was just like, this no, is no. a bit weird. So let me, can Ma- I, like, because we're at a real risk of veering into the kind of, like, we're, we're too middle class to just, like, chow down yeah. on some, the thing that, actually, I'm going to dive headfirst into it. I'm quite on. happy for them to bring a bottle of wine to my seat. <laughs> I'm absolutely oh, well, yeah, overjoyed with that. That no, works no, fine. for me. But I don't want a five-course meal. No. Like, there's got to be a healthy balance, like, or an unhealthy bit, balance, but there's got to be a, a balance. A bit of wine there. on a Friday night showing oh, is good. Oh, it's lovely. Man. And it's did you nice, find, like... when, when you go to the Everyman, you maybe have, like, two glasses of wine, and then you start to get the, the sort of, like, you're sort of getting a bit, you get a bit giddy and excited for the film. I, I yeah. really love that. Absolutely love that. Um, Especially if you're watching like a real thinker, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Brilliant. And it. so I kind of made my decision this week based off of, I wonder whether other people do this. I doubt that they do. But I, if you are listening and you make a decision based on the level of snack or food that you're going to go into, or if you disagree with the idea of people chowing down mm. on a fat burger and fries whilst in a film. I mean, Agreed. you're in a confined space as well. Um, 
and I totally agree with you on the popcorn thing. If I'd gone for a popcorn, I would have got a large. And then I was like, I can't do that. I just can't do that. I can't. I, I had your voice ringing in my head, which was, which was saying like, you can't do it every time. You can't yeah. get food every time you go to the cinema. Because if you're going once, twice a week, that's too much. That's just ridiculous. Anyway. It's expensive and calorific. I, you know, I digress. What did you think of the film? Not shaming anybody. <laughs> I... Uh, I, I I thought it was really good fun, mate. I thought it was I Did thought you? it was wholesome good fun, you know? And I think that's fine. You know, I think that's a good place for a film to be in. I enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoyed it very much, I would say. Oh good. I you thought it that. wrapped it all up quite nicely and I just I think what I've always quite liked about those Guardians of the Galaxy films is they don't take themselves no. take themselves too seriously. And no, not at all. I, I I enjoyed it. You know, I don't think it's, I don't think it was groundbreaking. Did you? But I don't think every movie has to be. I think movies can just be fun, and it it fulfilled the brief for me anyway on, on that if front. It's, if it's a sequel, um, if it's what if if it's like you said, it's tying up loose ends and stuff. So I can It doesn't have to really do anything groundbreaking in that one. I think it's more about. I think it's more about servicing an audience um, mm. because I'm not I'm not big on I'm not big on the the, the Marvel stuff just in general. I kind of can take it or mm. leave it. So for me, I didn't have any preconceived notions before I went in. I was just like, oh, this will do because it was the kind of best of the best of the bunch. It didn't really do anything for me though. Weird. I no, sort of fair. I found my I found myself thinking this is very very long. Like, I think it comes. How, in yeah, how long a, was it? Two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine. That's punchy that. for me. Like, I, I sort of, I, I, I was, I wasn't drawn in at the start. It didn't really grab me, and I'm not. I don't have that same connection to it that that you do. I'm kind of like I've seen them, but I'm like, oh yeah, they're fine. So I, yeah. I was kind of not. I wasn't really rooting for any of the characters as such. Mm. Um. But the reason why I want like the the length thing is important. Oh, thank you. Um, the the discu- <laughs> <laughs> the discussion around around that is because if it's okay, I wanted to bring up another film that I watched this week. Um, oh, go on then. I have been going back through our pods, and I've been trying to find my promises that I say to you each week when you say oh you should watch this and I'm like right I'll get on that and I so I went back through and I was like what has Jack recommended that I need to watch um and I watched Rylane oh you did yeah did you like it loved it loved it loved it loved it and I think that film comes in about 90 minutes and it was perfection for a 90 minute film get in explain to me where we're going watch it play out just be totally nourished by the storyline. See something from a different perspective as well, different angle and, and kind of having um, a romantic comedy that didn't feel played out, that didn't feel yeah. like, oh God, here we go again. It, I absolutely adored it. And I thought it was wonderfully shot. And I thought the colors were magnificent. The grade was beautiful. I thought that the, the two um, the two leads, Vivian Opera, I think it is, and David Johnson, wonderful their chemistry was amazing chemistry yeah bang on isn't it just lovely like so mesmerizing like i said how much does it feel like london as well 
Yeah, because uh, we, totally. we've seen years of, and uh, you know, whatever. I think we can all enjoy these movies in different, in varying degrees. But you know, the Richard Curtis depiction of London, and yeah, the Notting Hill it, which all, vibe. You know, it feels a bit saccharine and a bit, you know, it it feels. <sighs> It feels like a bit of a show, right? Whereas this Roy Lane, it felt it just felt like we all do when you're wandering around in London. You've had a few drinks, you're you know on a date, or you're out with some mates, or you know it turns into a house party, and then you go onto a bar, and it it I don't know. They just nailed that feel for me, um, yeah, unlike yeah. pretty much anything else I've ever seen on on screen. Really nailed the passage of time, I thought, as well. Mm. Like, they really nailed that. Yeah. They gave everything the appropriate amount of time that it deserved. And there was a, there was the, the, a scene in it. Um, if you haven't seen, if you haven't seen the film, it's essentially uh, two characters that have both just gone through breakups and they kind of fall into this very interesting, quite quick and intense. I'm not going to say infatuation with each other, but interest in each other because mm. they're having these shared experiences. Um, and they, it essentially follows them over the course of a day as they go through various kind of situations and are drawn closer and closer together. But there was a, there's a scene in particular where they go to a barbecue um, and, I, and essentially they're looking, the hook is that they're looking to try and get hold of a set of keys for the lead female character's ex-boyfriend's house. And so they have to go into this barbecue and try and find out where this set of keys are. And one of the things that I thought was just gorgeous about it was it used that setup to kind of take you into something that was culturally so kind of fascinating and, and it felt really authentic and real and honest whilst not, trying to it didn't feel at any point like the film was trying to push something into your face you know it didn't feel like it was forced it just felt natural and yeah. honest you know and i loved that I, I, it really it gave me such a buzz for london you know it gave me such a kind of like ah oh, i do like london you know yeah. it's it's lovely yeah. lovely feeling so great recommendation mate i i really enjoyed it absolutely loved it that's good that's good so what are we talking about this week mate well i should probably say what we're talking no, about yeah you tell us you give us I the chose intro. the ruddy film yeah well i mean lead us in what a pick well this week we will be talking about ridley scott's thelma and louise oh, what you hadn't seen the film before ben mate i was so buzzed to watch a film that we hadn't that I hadn't that I was coming to with fresh eyes, you know, because so much of this pod is obviously about rewatching, but I obviously am watching this one kind of completely fresh. I you still have the feeling of it being a rewatch because of the time jump, if that makes sense, like because you're yeah. very aware that it's kind of what year is this? I completely forget. Sorry, 1991. Okay, so you do have, I mean, there's there's a big jump in, in time, so you do, it does feel retro when you're watching it, but it was mm. really nice watching it, kind of watching a film for the for the pod that I'd never seen before. What, um, would, why did you... Would you say, I was going to say, just even though it is 1991, it felt like an 80s movie though, right? Like oh, it was, it, I mean, it's obviously been, in, I would imagine it's production and everything at least had started in the late 80s. But the sure. stylings and everything, it was it was very much an in-between movie. It didn't feel like an out-and-out -out 90s movie. 
And that's not that's partly because of the soundtrack, partly because of the styling. Um it just it, it felt quite eighties to me. That's 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 what I that was my immediate hot take on the film. Well, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And and also even from the outset of the film, you kind of you you would place all of the characters in the eighties if someone asked you what era they were mm. in, if that makes sense. I think just looking at um the kind of opening exchanges with uh, the character of Daryl kind of walking around the house and getting his, getting his partner to put his watch on, you know, <laughs> like it, it just little things like that. Very, it did feel a little bit, it, you, you would naturally associate that, I think. And particularly when you compare it to some of the other films that we've reviewed that have been nineties films, it definitely feels like there's a jump, doesn't there? Yeah. Big time, big time. Between say like Doubtfire, which was ninety four, and this, yeah. it, they yeah. still feel very different. Before we dive into the film too much, mate, shall we just say give thanks to some of the people who have sent us messages so far, and yes, go into some of the questions that people have. Sent oh us. my god, like I'm this. It's buzzing me up, mate. When we get these comments and questions in, and it forces you to think about stuff that yeah. we've talked about on the pod but in a, in a yeah. different way um go on take lead, lead us off mate well we had a, a lovely bit we just want to give a shout out to to blue 10 on twitter who sent us a you know sent us a very nice message just appreciating the podcast and what we do and thanks very much mate for for, for getting in touch with us we just wanted to give you a, a, a shout out for that and just say that we're glad that you're enjoying the pod yeah lovely like that was a lovely message to receive um and also, we had Sam get in touch on Twitter. He sent a DM. We should say, shouldn't we? DMs are open. Get in, get in touch. Mm-hmm. If you want to shout us out, DMs are open across the board. Hit us up. Let us know the films that you'd like to see us review, and you can sort of get a wormhole into our into mm-hmm. our head, and it'll eat away at us until one of us picks it. So, um, yeah, get in touch. Je- uh, uh, Sam said, true romance. Criminal that this film is not spoken about more. It's perfect. Tarantino script has dialogue, romance, violence, heart, and an absolutely ridiculous cast, including the greatest Brad Pitt cameo of all time. Very topical because we're going to get on to talk about Brad Pitt today. Um, who else did we hear from me? James E. Baker on Instagram regarding Mrs. Doubtfire. Messages to say it definitely hasn't aged well. Um, as a child, when I watched the film, I was completely on the side of Robin Williams. But when I've watched it as an adult, you realise his behaviour is completely insane and Sally Field and the judge at the end are right to be worried about him. Yeah, I mean, very I much echoes any, what we... Any debating that? Is <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> the more that I've listened back to our, our discussion about the judge's sentencing, it kind of like, it really does hit you, doesn't it, that he... Yeah. That, that he, like, he was just way off. <laughs> he was way yeah. off. Absolutely I, I liked... I think one of the good ones is one of our clips. You can, if you are a user of TikTok, you can follow us on TikTok. We put out little clips on there. Beautifully produced by producer Purdy. Um, on there, I, I think one of our clips was about this on TikTok. And I, th- I think it's probably one of our most interacted with posts thus far on TikTok. And it was just a lot of people being like, you know, when you put it like that, <laughs> it's <laughs> kind of weird what he did. Yeah, and it's, it's it's one of those things. It's all it's staring us all in the face, isn't it? And yes. nobody wants to accept it. But you know, when you pull at the thread, you're like, yeah, yeah, maybe uh, it's kind of dressing up as 
somebody else to deceive your ex-partner into seeing your children which you're court ordered not to see probably, <laughs> probably isn't great. not great probably yeah. not great um we had uh, a comment on instagram from toxin said truman uh, this was regarding the chat around truman getting out of the truman show and we asked the question what happens next for truman after he sort of exits the the back of the huge dome in which he sort of exists um and toxin said homeless and famous in la question mark <laughs> and yeah. i was like god that is, you kind of i don't think we went too heavily into this did we because it kind of was a bit dark that idea wasn't yeah. it yeah of what happens to his life after that i mean look if i was to if i was to start picking at that i'd say well he probably immediately moves in with i forget the name can i just say up front right up front one of my biggest weaknesses in film tv anything i'm so bad with character names oh really I'm so bad i'm so bad with character names i don't know what it is i don't know what it is about the way in which my brain processes information but i'm very much a i'm more of a sensory person i get that the guy who did the thing and i get i can react to the feeling from that yeah the actual person's name no, uh, I'm, no. I'm just, I'm bad at, no, not a names guy, not a names guy, not a numbers guy, you know. I can't even remember her name either, because I know there was like, her thing, name was like Lauren, but it wasn't her name. Mm. Was it Sylvia? I, 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 I think it was. You, and the reason why I think it was. I'm going to look it up now, because it's going to wind me up. Because I think we literally had this conversation on the pod where we were both like, what's her bloody name? <laughs> we both sat, both sat there trying to work out her name for like 10 minutes, which obviously makes for world-class podcast listening. Um, but, uh, Lauren, she, no, it was Lauren. You're correct. Lauren, right, okay. And then she said she was going to Fiji. And that was the, that was the thing I always remember, her on the beach saying, that's not my actual name. It's not my actual name. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, sorry, you were saying, so... In, he moves in with her then what probably i mean one uh, we got a tiktok comment that was saying well he'd need counseling which big time probably is a fair shout right big time for the rest you of his imagine life imagine checking something like that he would probably bite the bullet as much as i think he would be resentful of doing so he'd probably take some cash because he'd need cash and do a a, a jay leno type oh, tonight Oprah. evening show yeah right have a talk to them if he's getting, say, a couple hundred grand to do that, set him up for a bit, and then I guess just assess his options from there. Mm, it's so but ugly, I would, isn't you would it? see him so easily getting sucked back into basically just yeah. living a life behind a camera again, doing yeah. a reality TV show, or you know, signing the Hello Magazine deal, or the you know, it oh, just. I'd love to see that. I'd love to do the fly on the wall for him being in a room with Christoph and just kind of having a another conversation. Anyway, I, I, I mean, Christoph's I, going to jail, right? Surely. Yeah, has to. Has to. Christoph tries to, to kill him. Has to, like... Look, I mean, we've, we've done, look, we've done Truman Show. We can't, we can't do this again. <laughs> do, yeah, we can't. absolutely. Um, just really quickly, mate, why did you mm. pick Thelma and Louise? I picked Thelma and Louise because I think it's a film that I've seen a couple of times down the years and I've always enjoyed and I probably haven't ever really given much thought to 
what it actually means and what it represents. I've always just kind of, uh, truth be told, I originally watched Thelma and Louise because there was a little skit on The Simpsons that they did about the ending of the movie. And I'd always wondered like, and I, and I always remember the ending of the movie being such a kind of cultural moment. It being just one of those things that people would talk about. Are they going to do a Thelma and Louise or whatever? And uh. just thinking like, I should just probably watch this movie. You know, I, 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 the Simpsons was always such a good springboard for me to like, Watch I love that. Or see other things because yeah, I'd be like, why are they making a joke from? about that? Yeah yeah, 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 you know, why are they making that joke? And usually, sorry to any Americans who do listen, when it's something like an NFL or an NBA joke or something, I'm always like, okay, whatever, fine, that's not the joke for me. That's the same as British people saying, making a joke about Harry Kane not winning any trophies or something to maybe a middle American audience that has no interest in soccer. That's, the, you know, that kind of thing. But when it's something about like an old movie or there's, you know, I think there's like an old Friday the 13th joke in an old Simpsons episode and that inspired me to go and watch Friday the 13th and a deliverance gag. And there's a few different ones like that that, I, that down the years have come from the Simpsons making me watch it. So I know that sounds like such a such a, a strange segue, but it's... No, you know. no, no. I, I'd, I'm very similar. I, I've got, got kind of naturally quite inquisitive mind and not with that sort of stuff you know i'm mm. like well i i want to I, there was a joke there and i didn't get it so i want to know what yeah. i've missed yeah. and then i'd usually one of the things i'm sure this is this is hardly a groundbreaking thing to say but um like, i love the kind of movie clips youtube channels you know that just have yeah. a clip and then i'll watch a clip and be like oh that looks good and then i'll go right okay i've got to give it a watch now and then try and find it and um, sort of hunt around. I've got all of the all of the different subscriptions now, so I'm kind of like, if I can't <laughs> bloody find it, this is gonna. It drives me mad not being able yeah. to to find the film now. Um, uh, but yeah, so it was it was more that you you would kind of like it hadn't been an intentional thing, right? You'd never been kind of like I am buzzing to watch this. It kind of like snuck in for you. Yeah, definitely, definitely as. I'd always known of the film and at least the name of the film. And it was it was one of those things I'd always known as, oh, it's a big film that I should probably watch at some point. But, you know, never really got round to. Um, but then I just I, I did eventually and I just thought, you know what, for this for this pod, I thought it would be good because, again, sorry to be that guy. But I just thought, look, we've just had Casino Royale. We've had Gladiator. We've had Truman Show. We've had Forrest Gump. It's probably about time we do something with a strong female protagonist. And in this case, we've got two. Two for the price of one. So, uh, you know. And so, I mean, yeah, both of them just magnificent. So, so good. Do you think we should... I reckon we probably should preface this pod and this discussion with the fact that we are both aware <laughs> that we are two heterosexual middle-aged men and yes, we are going to be mansplaining a cornerstone of feminist <laughs> cinema to people. We get that. Yeah. We understand this. But look, at least, you know, we're doing it. So I, I'm going to go out early on a, on a, without attempting to get us cancer, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think um, it's so, so crucial that people like us do have 
these conversations do take on these sort if we're doing a podcast about film we absolutely yep. need to do a deep dive into films like this you know mm-hmm. it shouldn't be it, it should never put i don't think it should ever put you off like the idea of having the conversation you know because for me avoiding films or worrying about having the conversation is almost as bad as actively avoiding it right you know but i think ultimately it's... yeah it's well, it's, a, it's just it's a great movie it's a good yeah movie and that's why we're talking about it yes there are other issues and themes that are attributed to that movie but we're talking about this because ultimately we're talking about films that we love films that we've always enjoyed and you know that's one of the main reasons we're talking about it yeah and like this one was uh I, this was yeah this was this has stuck with me this week i watched it pretty much oh my god that's one thing i need to say straight away i am so so sorry if anyone went to try and book tickets to go and see this oh. off the back of my recommendation <laughs> yeah. last week because oh, no. i got buzzed because i saw that it was I saw that it was had showing times on Google, so I was like, yes! And then we came off the pod, and then producer Purdy was like, yeah, mate, they're not until June, so what were he, you talking about? He was just about? straight up was like, like, you're chatting oh. shit, mate. Like, what are you on about? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Purdy. I was so buzzed as well. I was like, yes, I'm going to cinema. But I watched it pretty much on day one. Like, I, I was really, really excited, because obviously I hadn't, hadn't seen it, so I was so excited to watch it. Watched it, and it stuck with me for the entire week. The entire week, it's That's just good. been like various things just kind of popped into my head, ideas, themes, characters, um, and I've I've watched so much around it. And they've done what's been amazing is seeing that Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis have done loads since together. They've done lots of like anniversary interviews and stuff like that, which is really, have really they? nice. Yeah, That's it's cool. really cool. And they both clearly still absolutely adore each other as well, which is amazing. I always think that's a really nice thing, you know, when you see people that have been in a cast together and then they come to the end of filming and then whenever you see them on a red carpet or whenever they cross paths, they look delighted to see each other. I think it's just such a nice thing. Ben, can I ask you have you i can't remember what i was going to say <laughs> what i would say you know what, the beginning I, when you said we are two no, middle-aged men like we literally are now we're starting to forget stuff mid-sentence i know i know <laughs> awful awful i remember what i was going to say the, speaking of anniversary like revisits there's a jodie foster and anthony hopkins one as well i think it was on the 30th anniversary or 40th oh. anniversary of silence of the lambs of them just having a Zoom chat, and that was oh my that god, was I saw beautiful. that. I saw yeah. that. It was lovely, it's amazing, and such she called a him, lovely conversation. She said, "Hey, Tony," and I was like, yeah. "Oh my god," she calls him Tony. <laughs> but he's so, so like he's so in awe of her, even to this yeah. day as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's just he's still just waxing lyrical about her performance and just like what a professional she was and everything. He seems like a really good guy. I hope there's Doesn't not an awful lot I've missed about him, but he does seem like a really nice I mean, guy. Touch wood. I mean, he was one of the first people um, to go on stage after Will Smith slapped um, uh, Chris Rock. Like, really? I think Did it... at the Oscars. Um and he came on stage and he said something very kind of quietly poetic about like let's be conduits for peace and calm and quiet 
I think is what he said, which I thought was really quite powerful. He did, he yeah. does genuinely seem like just a, a really lovely, lovely man. Which I mean, again, touch wood, we haven't just given it the the big talk up, and it turns out he's a horrible bad bastard. I, I know. Right, Ben. What, what, but back to Thelma and Louise. I'm, I'm gonna get. I've got my 60 second counter lined up Let's here. Let's do right? it. I hope you've been feeling the pressure because I really, you know, I completely bottled Forrest Gump. You know, no, no, you did well with Forrest Gump. Oh come you on, did well. you're being kind. You're being kind, mate. But it was, it was horse shit. Let's be honest, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> no pressure. Okay, but I'm gonna give you I'm a. Tra- uh, I'll maybe try and go the niche of this. I'll try and take like a different, okay. different attempt here. Right, t- okay. count me down. Five, four, three, two, and one. So, Thelma and Louise. Uh, Thelma plays by Gina Davis. Louise played by Susan Sarandon. Two women that live lives that... I, I think you know a little bit more about Thelma's life than you do about Louise's life. But they seem to live lives where they kind of feel like they're a bit done with their current setup they want to get out and they want to get away so they arrange to go on a bit of a road trip together both seem to have quite that's 30 seconds par- oh god both seem to have quite troublesome partners um, and both seem to want to kind of escape but they're both quite innocent it seems they get out on the road they commit a horrendous crime when louise kills someone who's trying to rape thelma um, and then what happens over the course of the film is they just descend into chaos, committing more and more crimes as they go. And you start to realise there is no way out for these two. And the film essentially follows them to the point of no return. And they end up driving <laughs> off a cliff. Oh, mate, that's that's good. Yeah, that was only one minute and two seconds, but you got it. I think that I is... Kind of like... I think that's our best one, mate. The, the only thing that I missed out was basically that. like three quarters of the film. <laughs> yeah but it's it's a, it's a it's an overall summation isn't it and i think you i think you nailed that mate i'm gonna give you that okay well do you know what having, the, having the times having time having a little warning to say hurry the hell up really really helps um it, well you you extended me that courtesy last week and it still didn't it didn't it didn't do anything for me but you know i i kind of thought that was good it was good to know what ballpark a minute i, I want to avoid any more of my four minutes like <laughs> Mate, that was so know. funny that's gonna uh, when we get like a hundred episodes into this and we've got like hundreds of thousands of people listening and we're going and doing live shows of this kind of out on the road that will be like an iconic one the kind of jack hussey breakdown of whiplash in 60 seconds that went on for five minutes <laughs> uh, it makes honestly <laughs> listen back to that because like immediately after we got off producer purdy was like jack you realize you're <laughs> your 60 second synopsis <laughs> was like four minutes and 20 seconds and then i remember just listening back to the podcast and just cringing just thinking shut up shut up <laughs> shut, you know you know that moment in breaking bad when skylar shouts at her sister shut up yeah. shut up shut up shut up and that's just what i was thinking to myself as i'm there like blah 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 drumming blah 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 you know <laughs> Just, it's, oh, it, you know, it's so true, man. There's so, when I listen to when I listen to some of the stuff back. Sometimes I'm thinking, you've made that point. Stop going on. You know, I can't help it. I'm very sort of self-critical. Anyway, where should we stop, begin with? Stop this? saying you know as well. <laughs> yeah, I always say like yeah. and literally, and that drives yeah. me mad. Tell me where we're starting, mate. Why, why, why are we going so deep on this film? And what is it about the film that is so special to you? 
Well, I, I, I would say, you know, like I say, the, 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 my trigger to rewatch this was, I thought this would be a good film to talk about because there's probably a, a lot of issues in here that I've previously neglected when I've not been watching the film through, a, say, an analytical lens or been at a place in my life when I've maybe just been more ignorant to the significance of films like this. But I don't, it, like we say, no. Ultimately, the enduring part of this is I enjoyed the film and I thought it was a great film and I still think it's a great film um, upon this rewatch. But I guess we should probably start by touching on the cultural significance of the film and some of the some of the themes that it represents. Um, I mean, you've touched already on on the chemistry between Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis. What what jumped because you know you've been saying that you've you've watched various interviews between the pair of them since. Um, what what kind of things have they been talking about, and what did you take take from the from the film upon your watching of it, mate? Because I'm interested to know how you how you saw it through. I guess purely analytical eyes. This being the first time you've watched it. So, what was really all basically all of the interviews that I've seen of them together. I would say that they're not a million miles from the chemistry that they have in the film, like their, okay. their interaction with each other. <clears throat> they're quite tactile with each other. Susan's Randon's very kind of, she's very sharp. She's quick witted, but she's also like they'll have a laugh and then she brings it back into focus. You know, mm. and and Gina Davis is very kind of unassuming, very friendly, very warm, and it sort of watching them, kind of they talk a lot. Actually, they talk a lot about how much time they just spent together because they were in the car. You know, and yeah. as we've discussed lots before on the pod, actually I don't know how much we've discussed this on the pod, but um, when I used to work in in drama and was kind of just doing very base level jobs on TV sets. One of the things that you don't realize is that you might do the same scene 30 times because you need to do it for different camera angles. You need to do it for different types of audio. You need to do it with close-ups. You need to do it because one of the lines wasn't quite right or you want to capture things in a certain way or there's a continuity error. So, if you're going to spend that much time doing scenes over and over again where you're sat next to each other or within 30 centimetres of each other because you're in a car, you better get on, you know. You kind of have to get on. Um, and it's clear that they did. It's clear that they absolutely loved it. And I think that came across in the film. I thought it, it comes across so much that they, by the end of the film, one of the things that I read was that a lot of the film was shot quite chronologically. Um, okay. so you, you are seeing them grow in the film, but you're also seeing them grow as people as well. And, and as, uh, as two members of the cast. Um, so you kind of feel as you're going along that they are really starting to sort of flex, you know, they're really starting mm. to get to this point where they're, they're very comfortable. And also we see the transition of the characters as well, right? I mean, watching the two characters just kind of come out of their shell and go through this transition and go through this change and sort of almost become butterflies and, and sort of 
just reach the peak of their powers by the end of the film. It's really quite special. It's, it's, it's lovely. And at first, I think when I first, maybe the first 20 minutes, I knew nothing about the film. I knew nothing about it at all. So I found the first 20 minutes of the film quite challenging because I remember you saying in a previous pod, you said like within the first five, 10 pages of the script, you need to set the film up. And like the kind of like the standard setup might be that within the first five, 10 pages of the script, you want to explain where the film's going to go. And it kind of struck me that you're half an hour into the film and you have no idea where the film's going. Yeah. You know, you don't, you, you couldn't, you couldn't even begin to predict and actually, the longer the film went on, the more I enjoyed it. By the end, I was getting to a point where I was like, I don't, please, like, don't stay on the phone for too long. I don't want them to get your location. I don't want them to know where you yeah. are. I want to keep this going. What What did you make of the the evolution of the characters? Because you've kind of, you've touched on that there. Um, I'm just, because there is... There is a, to me anyway, when I was watching this back, I think that was one of the, 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 the big points of this, right? It's two people from maybe opposite ends of the scale. You've got the the somewhat jaded and guarded Louise, and we find out the reasons as to why that is as the film unfolds. And the maybe more, say, youthful, naive, I think that's fair enough to say, um, Thelma. And it's it to me by the end of the movie they both are they find like a a, a happy medium I, I would say in a way um, is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, I I actually I might go a little bit further than that because I think they they find this happy medium, but then I feel like they're reaching the truest form of themselves by the end of the film. Yeah. You know, they've they've got rid of all inhibitions. They've got rid of all of the things that are holding them back. And at multiple times, kind of, they have these kind of like knowing nods to each other and little references where they say like, you know what? I think I've like found my calling. I think I've found what I'm meant to do and I'm really good at this. And they're suddenly getting more confident and they're more ambitious almost in what they're trying to do. And they don't seem to have any of the shackles by the end of the film. I mean, the end of the film is them driving off of a cliff. You know, they are breaking down the last, the very last thing, the very last barrier that could, that could stop them. They've kind of dismantled so much along the way. Um, so I think, yeah, I think they're, they're characters. The, the beginning, the beginning for me, I, I, I struggled with the beginning, but I struggled with the beginning. I think in 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 the way that Ridley Scott and Kelly Curry, the 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 writer, I think the way that they would want a male audience to struggle. Does that make sense? No, go into it. No, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to know. Well, I sort of found it quite uncomfortable, sort of seeing this strange dynamic that Thelma's character has with the 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 uh christopher mcdonald's daryl you know yeah i was like oh oh this is just like that guy's a horror you know he's a he's just vile you know and there doesn't seem to be anything redeeming about him whatsoever he didn't show any affection he's just nasty he's mean he, he he's making thelma she literally she, she 
she wants to go away with her friend and she can't even bring herself to ask him. You know, do, and it's Do you of... think she even realizes how unhappy she is though at that point? <sighs> I don't know. That was one of the things that I that that I was sort of toying with. You know how I was saying that it kind of stuck with me this week. I was sort mm. of a, a, a lot of these questions just kind of rolling around in my head of and it's kind of I wonder whether she did know, but she was choosing to ignore it, you know, well, kind of choosing to kind of block it out. You know, when you have, you know, when you do that yeah. thing where you're sort of, you're uncomfortable with something, so you're like, la, 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 not listening, not listening yeah. sort of thing. I think there's probably definitely a, a part of that and it's not to strip her of any agency, but part of what I drew from the film, because as I was saying previously that she was maybe somewhat naive at the start. Mm. I mean, when when I consider her character, I think she's somebody that she says herself she's only ever been with Daryl, and they'd been together for since she was about fourteen years old, which to me is already an implication of him maybe grooming her somewhat because yeah. I'd assume he's a bit older than her, right? At least maybe five to ten years older than her. So he'd obviously he already met her when she was fourteen. He's the only boyfriend or partner she's ever had, um, sexually, and I guess in a in a any sort of romantic sense so it it, it it felt like she'd not really it's almost like her kind of development had been stunted that she'd been already ensnared by this like you say this particularly unpleasant bloke and hadn't seen much of the world because he kept her trapped in this in this world that he'd created That's and, really it, and and thus it made me wonder if like she maybe the, like you say maybe there was an instinct of unhappiness but it, it, it seemed to me that like part of her evolution on screen was her realizing, wow, I've lived such a sheltered, her suddenly realizing, oh my God, like my life has been so tiny. It's been so minuscule because of this guy, because of him and the way in which he's basically manipulated me to, to, mm. to, to, to be in this, in this position. And I think thus that, that really increases that sense of freedom when, you know, she has a, a, a sexual encounter with Brad Pitt's character and she holds up the, the what is it, a grocery store or a petrol station or something like that later mm. on in the film? Yeah. When she's suddenly like, you know, she has this freedom when she's suddenly free to just actually do her own thing, you know, to 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 to, to just live her life in a way that, she feels like she wants to to act on impulse yeah i i mean phil tell me if i'm skipping ahead too far here but i well firstly the, the i think you just absolutely nailed whilst why i had that feeling of discomfort it's a feeling of being trapped you know it, it, yeah it, like it, it, it sort of if i had to try and describe it, it would be like having your arms by your side and trying to lift them up and someone holding them down. You know, that yeah. sort of almost claustrophobic style feeling that I felt like she had in that that little house and the way that he kind of was... I watched an interview with with the writer and um, she says he's the king of his tiny little kingdom, yeah. you know, and sh she's kind of under his rule and it was just... I, I found that horrible, but I think also it's challenging as a as a 
God, I mean, so much of this film is challenging, I think, in a good way for blokes watching this because yeah. you're forced to recognise the fact that so many of these things that play out over the course of the film take, for example, the lorry driver is the, the this sorry the truck driver who's constantly being inappropriate and beeping at them and saying disgusting stuff the chances are 99.9 percent .9 of the female population have experienced that you know anyone like yeah. i was going to say anyone over the age of 16 i'm sure a lot of people under the age of 16 would yeah. be able to tell you a story like that that they've had and it's it sort of it is it, it sort of i think because of that that's just that start the 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 opening exchange is kind of naturally quite challenging but also and would you say just just on that point on, of on. Yeah. equally uncomfortable as a bloke knowing that you've been around other guys that have made comments like that as well yeah you know, and, and probably okay. not challenged it or called it out yeah i had a really strange experience that this is going to sound like a bit of a flex i promise it's not i had a I had a really strange experience with this about two years ago, I want to say, maybe three years ago. I was doing an interview with the sprinter, Dina Asher-Smith, yeah. um, and w we finished the interview, and we wanted to get some portrait pictures of her. Um, and, I mean, I hope she won't mind me saying this. I'm sure she won't. Um, but we went outside to take some portrait pictures. And... Um, these guys just drove past in a van as we were taking the pictures and just started beeping over and over and over again and shouting. And it took me like 30 seconds to understand what was going on. I didn't even register. I thought there must be an incident going on on the road behind us because there was so much beeping. Um, and then I kind of like, it, there was this lag and then I was like, oh wait, were they being inappropriate and sort of like beeping and sort of heckling at, at her and I was like were they beeping at you and she was like yeah and she like sighed as she said it uh, and it, I, I was like I'm so I said to her at the time I'm so sorry like I didn't I I, I literally just I, I in that instant I didn't realize because I would have I would have said something I'm not sure how much it would have done like I'm I'm not sure but it, I think it's important that you show your support you know it's important that you kind of yeah actually show that you're prepared to challenge those those kind of attitudes um but it was the fact that she sighed when she said it when she was like yes it's like oh man like that's she's reached that point of just complete tedium you know um and it, it feels like a lot of that is encaptured in this film right totally you know when you're totally. when you're watching it from you know whether or not because obviously we we come to learn that Louise was raped the character Louise was raped hence her I guess we you know we're talking about evolutions on screen from the start of the movie when they're in the bar for example Louise is guarded she's very she's not keen make, on why yeah. did you think that was like what did you make of that dynamic in that scene in terms of kind of like what that was trying to say well I I, I just sort of figured that you know she's probably had her sort of, you know, she's got this kind of like on-off boyfriend at the moment. She's had obviously that traumatic experience in the past with men. I, I just feel that she was probably a bit like, look, I'm not, 
I'm not here for this anymore. I'm not here for the guy coming and flirting with me and trying to pick me up in a bar. Like I, I even need to have a, a real connection with somebody or I'm just not that asked about it because of the, the trauma that she's been through that she maybe hasn't, well, I wouldn't say maybe that she hasn't even processed properly yet because she doesn't want to talk about it. Even to Thelma, when Thelma's asking her, she gets quite angry with her later on in the mm. film. Just drop it. Just leave it, you know? Yeah. And I, I just kind of took that as she just wants to really, ultimately, she wants to go away with her best mate on a fishing trip and just enjoy that and not, again, have to give more of her time to the whims of a man that just wants to walk over to them and say, oh, how pretty they are and buy them a drink. And Because in her head, she's like, well... You know, he wants to fuck one of us. Ultimately, that's... Yeah. It's, he's not being nice. He's not being friendly. Like, that's all that he wants from this situation. So can we just cut the shit and enjoy our our time together? You know, that's that's kind of what I'd, I'd, I'd taken from that. How about you? What do, what do you reckon? Well, like, the, the, the only other thing that I'd add in there, and I couldn't work out... I was trying to work out what the intention of this was because it, it, it was done for a reason, but... The fact that they made it Thelma that the guy was very forward with, you know, and and, hmm. and the fact that it was Thelma who gets into trouble and is kind of a little bit naive. God, even that turn of phrase. But she's the one who almost needs saving from this horrible, violent man. And Louise comes to kind of her, comes to, to save her. Um, I feel then, like just I just want to say because I don't think it's like victim blaming I think naive is apt in this because that's the that's the model that they've built in this movie right they're showing you yeah. that Thelma has lived this existence where she hasn't seen anything of the world so she that it, it's just hammering home that point that she is again she's going to be a victim of a man in the instance that she's about to be raped by this man because the the world that has been shaped for her has been shaped by another abusive man. You know, it, yeah, it's but... just, it's almost like she's been passed from one to the other. So I don't, it, w my point is, I don't think it's problematic to suggest that she's so the, naive, naive in this instance. We, and like, I do, I, 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 and I think just her character in general is meant to have naive tendencies so that when the film goes, as we go further and further into the film, you start to see her almost waking up to who yeah. she wants to be and because i mean she's the one who walks that leaves a thief a guy that's told her that he's a criminal and a thief and a robber she's left him in a room with all their money you know that was a naive thing to do like and you see that kind of i, I think that's what i was what i was kind of um what i was kind of getting at is that you see that it's louise who's the one that needs to almost at times bail Thelma out because Thelma perhaps is, isn't as worldly wise, let's just say. Um, do, do, do you think Thelma's naivety though is again, it's being, it's, it's almost like a vessel. It's, it's the, the, there's the writer is using that as, as to say, well, whether she's naive or not, it's still men taking advantage of that in both instances. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's just to demonstrate that like, it's people taking advantage of it. it it's yeah, not absolutely. that she's actually doing... She's not doing anything wrong. 
she's being trusting and she's being friendly and she's trying to see the the good in people and both times well see the good in men and in both instances they've you know they let her down they've been the ones to well yeah you know they they and and also that 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 why should she have to not be herself you know why should she have to think any other way she she shouldn't have to she should just be whoever she is but i why think in this why can't she be free to live her life as yeah, the however person she, wants. she is and i yeah. suppose the difference is is that she's juxtaposed with um susan sarandon's louise who is glass half empty you know yeah. because she's had such traumatic experience so she's perhaps a little bit more um you, you for example, in that scene in the bar, she's like, no, thanks. Leave us alone. You know, mm. which she sort of a little bit more. This could be this could be trouble. I don't want any part of it, you know. Um, and, and later on, she, when um, Brad Pitt's character wants to try and get a ride, she's like, no, nope, no, thank you. You know, I'm not I'm not getting not getting into this again. We're not risking. Yeah. It. So I think. Those two. Uh, so, what I was going to say before, where the reason why that is so crucial is because Louise is forced, or not necessarily even forced, because she makes a decision. I think that was a really, really important part of the film. Right, is that she didn't have to shoot him, but she decides to shoot him. You know, she takes control of the situation, and decides to shoot him. The thing for me that the film does so well is seeing Thelma hold up the the petrol station, I breathed a real sigh of relief then because I was like, oh, they're finally, they're on a level playing field now, you know? Yeah. Do, do, I don't know, where, did you get that? So I don't know, I suppose, because I was watching it for the first time, it's slightly different, but do you know, did you get that sense when you were watching it that like once she had committed a crime, suddenly there was an equality in their relationship. Do you know what I mean? So I that, think that... so, yeah, to a degree, um, because I, I guess the, the, the crime was ultimately just her taking matters into her own hands. Like Louise mm. has always been the one that mm. sorted everything for the pair of them and Thelma was suddenly like, right, well, I need to get my hands dirty now. I need to step up and I need to help Louise because she's at her lowest ebb now and I can see that she is. And thus she's committed this crime. But the the act of doing the crime itself has unlocked that thing in her where she's like, I do have my own agency. I do have power over my own life. I can do these things if I want to. You know, in this instance, it's <laughs> it's putting a police officer in the back of his back of his trunk or, you know, I holding up a liquor store. Amazing. I thought that like, was brilliant. such a good scene. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. Um I, I I was I was interested to know from you, mate. Um, on that note, do you see? Because let's take the let's take the initial, the murder, right? Yeah. Are they victims or are they are they perpetrators? Like, are so, so is Louise's crime? Is it you know is is it simply a reaction to male aggression or is that patronising? Does that remove her of her agency of the fact that ultimately she's done a bad thing that the, the, the guy's behavior is abhorrent 
and the way in which he spoke to them afterwards, totally abhorrent, but she's murdered him afterwards. Mm. Yeah. Or I... do you do you feel that she was still just a, a victim and that, you know, the guy See, just had what was coming to him? This was a really interesting thing, right? Because when I, I, I didn't know any of the context of the film. So as I'm watching this, I'm just seeing firsthand her shoot someone, just kind of like, just seeing it as it comes. I'm like, wow, she's just killed that guy. Jesus, they're in a lot of trouble now and they're going to have to go on the run, you know, yeah. because she's going to get her. You, you can't shoot people just in the same way that his actions are unacceptable. You can't murder someone. So she is going to get arrested. What plays out in the rest of the film really isn't, actually anything to do with the murder you know it's not i would i'd say that that is actually just a device to open up their transformation as as two individuals you know it, it provides them with a platform to go and kind of realize who they really want to be and have these experiences um but in that instance, at the time when I watched it, I was like, that's, that's a, like, her action in itself is a crime, right? The thing that I found quite interesting is when they started to have the discussion, again, another really uncomfortable thing, another thing that kind of, that I'm sure made everyone squirm when they first, watched it was when they kind of described the the situation that it was like why is anyone going to listen to me you know why am i we could go to the police yeah and say what yeah. and it's sort of like oh gosh that is that's horrible just absolutely brutal um and i sort of i don't i it felt to me when you see louise's character shoot him that she she wasn't shooting him you know does that make sense do you know what i mean she wasn't it wasn't, wasn't it was it was, it was almost metaphorical right yeah she wasn't shooting that individual man like she was trying to like kill the idea and the behavior she's literally putting that behavior away for what it represents i don't know what about you did you think they were victims or did you think they were kind of they sort of we need to isolate their actions. Well, it, it's interesting because I, I do feel that the the crime is it's obviously presented in a sympathetic fashion, right? Mm, We've seen mm. the events that have led up to that. We've seen her explaining to him why his actions are bad, and you know the man's last words on earth are "suck my dick" to her. It's still he he has to have the last word and. His his last words are still just viewing her as a mere sex object, something yeah. for him to just you know get his rocks off with, and it, it, even to the degree where he's been he's literally just being told you know what like forcing a woman to have sex with you isn't a good thing, and he's just so affronted by the idea that he can't have what he wants, he still just has to debase her, he still just has to reduce her in that fashion. And so, like you say, I, de I very much agree with you that it, she's she's killing the man, but she's killing the idea as well, right? You yeah. know, the the old yeah. saying is you can't you can kill the man, but not the idea. But that's that's 
ultimately what she's trying to do. It does feel somewhat metaphorical. And it also does feel just like, like you, like you were saying that I very much agree with that it, it it's the start of their metamorphosis. It's, it's that act of rebellion initially of them just suddenly being like, you know what? We've both had our lives ruined or controlled by men. And now we just are going to have this freedom and yep, this is rebellion. And I know I'm doing a bad thing, but I think it's important that you acknowledge that what she's doing is wrong and a crime because their whole lives to this point have just been going along with this system, this society that is broken, that is so weighted towards men where I feel her rebellion is, well, you know what? Fuck this. I can do this as well. We can play them at their own game, right? If, if that's what they want, I'm not just going to be docile. I'm not just going to be, you know, this this quiet little woman that just does whatever they want me to do. I'm not doing that anymore. So I think to acknowledge that what they've done is a crime, that it is a rebellion, that it's not just a, oh, we had no option other to do this is important because like you say, that is, that is the, the, the start of their rebirth as characters. Um, yeah. And I guess, I guess this might be actually quite a good time to kind of talk about the the Bechdel test. Um yeah. And I mean you you brought this up last week so I'll let you kind of give the the steer but can you kind of whiz us through it? So the Bechdel test um I'm taking this I've known this before but I thought you know Wikipedia is going to give a, a decent overall summation so I'll read it out. Also known as the Bechdel Wallace test is a measure of the representation of women in film and fiction. The tests the test asks whether a work features at least two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. The requirement that the two women are named is sometimes added. Um, passing or failing the test is not necessarily indicative of how well women are represented in any specific work. Rather, the test is used as an indicator for the active presence of women in the entire field of film and other fiction to call attention to the gender inequality in fiction. Um, so yeah, it's uh, like I say those three points. The movie has to have at least two women in it, women who talk to one another, and they have to talk about something other than a man. Now, do you? Because I was talking to Charlotte about this, and she was actually on the fence. She thinks there's some interesting discussion to be had here. She was actually on the fence as to whether or not Thelma and Louise would technically pass the Bechdel test. Ooh, why so? I guess because so much of it is centered around men still, right? That the, the, their actions yeah, and that. everything that, you know, it's, it's expressly a, a rejection of, of men or at least the patriarchal society, right? Um, that, that, that the characters find themselves in, I guess women find themselves in real life. Um, but I think it probably is important, you know, both acknowledged as we were watching it that the movie was obviously groundbreaking in many ways that it's it's one of those films like it's held up as a real kind of iconic piece of feminist cinema um that ending that we will get onto we are going to talk about the ending <laughs> but that ending has made its way into into culture it's so much so like i say i'd, I'd seen it in the in the simpsons um but there is a distinct lack of of 
you know the male gaze in this in this movie right like you say there's there's instances in this film where you as a as a man watching it feel this sort of conflicted strange feeling of guilt and also i guess acknowledgement that oh shit yeah that's like like you like you were saying earlier you know the the honking of a horn that's something that is just so alien to us <laughs> that probably any woman from the age of 13 upwards is probably being like yep yep that happens you know i was walking along in my school uniform and i had middle-aged builders or whoever any type of man not to say that it's whatever but you know we we have the stereotypical idea of like builders on the building site shouting obscenities down mm. men who are twice the age of these women saying the most grotesque things that they force them out of this i guess they, they they force young women out of a level of innocence that probably young men are afforded for a, yeah. a much longer time you know yeah yeah and it, well i are we are we gonna we're gonna talk about this later aren't we the kind of the critical reception to the, the film being supposedly critical of of men um because that's quite a an interesting an interesting discussion about just how people at the time responded to the film um yeah. and and how obviously with there being so many at the time so many members of the media being from a male skew um the kind of overarching response being skewed that way too but what was interesting was um hearing uh Gina uh, Susan Sarandon and uh Gina Davis um both say in interviews as well that it was never it was never really about any of those things it was never really about having a go at people and it's never really about saying like this is all men you know it's just about saying as two characters this is a situation that they would have experienced and this is a situation that a lot of women would have experienced as well um so i i think i get i definitely get what charlotte's saying in terms of it kind of not necessarily passing the test as such but i think it sort of toys with the the test if that makes sense it I think so, yeah I mean she, 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 she wasn't saying it definitely doesn't but just it's a, an interesting point of debate just from a, a website I've looked I literally just typed in there does Thelma and Louise pass the Bechdel test and the the response to that is yes it does um, in Thelma and Louise there are several scenes where Thelma and Louise engage in conversations that meet the criteria they discuss their plans their desires for freedom their concerns and their experiences throughout their journey their discussions cover a wide range of topics beyond men, such as their friendship, their pasts and their aspirations. By depicting Thelma and Louise as multifaceted characters with their own thoughts, dreams and agency, the film not only passes the Bechdel test, but also presents a nuanced portrayal of women's experiences and relationships. There you go. Yeah, you know. and, and I think that just kind of thinking about various points about the film, I think the crime element is really cool because they're committing these acts and the acts are independent of some of them, at least are independent mm. of their being necessarily like they're not doing, they're not having conversations about the men. They're having a conversation about the acts, if that makes sense. When they sort of, when they, she holds up the, the gas station 
you know, is it, that that one's that's obviously it's happened as a result of the money being stolen. But she just she makes that happen out of nowhere. You know, she just does that herself, um, which is really cool. And I mean that the ending again, like like you said, we'll get to the ending. But the ending is very much for them. You know, the the yeah. the, the the ending is very much about those two, and everyone else is kind of wonderfully kept at at arm's length so that they can't interfere you know and this that's one of the big themes for me is that all all moments these 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 guys these kind of different men that they come into contact with just all they seem to just get in the way of them having a really authentic experience i mean i kind of one of the things i'd sort of forgotten i'd forgotten that they the weekend was meant to be a fishing trip yeah. You know, they they were meant to just go fishing. That was sort of where it started. Out starts. into nature. To have just yeah. you know, just to have fun to you know, what do you do when you go fishing? You know, you 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 kind of quiet it's a moment of content. I don't do a lot of fishing myself. I mean, when I say a lot, I don't do any fishing myself. But you know, <laughs> I can't I do, remember the last time I ever like, I know. I I, I I do hiking though, which is a kind of similar outdoorsy pursuit. You know, it's it's kind of a meditative state in many respects. Definitely. You're in nature, you're connecting generally with somebody else who you're with you're having those sort of long drawn out conversations so like you say the vibe isn't let's go to cancun and have a have a girls weekend yeah yeah it's exactly let's just spend some time together let's get out in nature let's just switch off from it all for a bit and what you touch on there like in terms of like coming across all the various different men i mean i, I would say it's not something i'm i've i'm totally ignorant to especially not as i've gotten older and we've learn more you know we've had like the whole me too movement happen in in kind of in hollywood um and i think what this film really touched on and made me feel uncomfortable as a man is that it it, it makes you realize and i know it's a, it's a it's a very loaded term and it, it gets people's backs up but it, it does make you realize the sort of privilege you have as a man really in many respects mm. that yeah. you know the kind of the chips are they are stacked in your favor in many in many regards um I'm sure things have changed somewhat in the 32 years since Thelma and Louise have come out. And I do think society is making strides towards equality. But I think we would all be, you know, lying if we were saying that things are are on a par at the moment um, for men and for women. And it, it does leave you of that sort of uncomfortable feeling that, you know, women probably or definitely don't have this... The, the same level of freedom as 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 men do i mean even if we just take it down to uh, uh, a a very painful and uh, you know uh, apologize in advance to to anybody um you know a trigger warning or whatever but you know when you think about instances such as somebody like sarah everard who is walking home as you or i have done mate on many nights out yeah. never have to think about it at all and what happened to her happens you know, yeah. that's it. It's just it's something that isn't going to happen to to us. And do you know that he's? I mean, on a on a on a sensitive subject such as this, he's really generally not the best person to reference. But I do remember many years ago um, when I actually still used to listen to him. And again, it's not just a flex. I you know I I don't listen to him anymore because I'm just not particularly that interested in what he has to say. But I do remember once Joe Rogan having a conversation about this. I, I believe it was around the time of um, Me Too and everything that was coming out. And he was, I can't remember who he was talking to. 
Um, but he was he was speaking to a to a female comedian about it all and about her kind of experiences and such. And they, they were having a, a, a pretty enlightening conversation. And, and Joe Rogan was actually surprisingly because you know he's <laughs> he is a bit of a you know you would say probably a bit of a meathead on on a lot of these type of subjects but he was saying because he's obviously as a ufc commentator he says he spends half of his life around guys that he knows could kill him with their bare hands quite easily and he was just kind of like saying speaking to his wife about it that kind of thing she was like well welcome to being a woman you know it's kind of mm. this is this is the world this is this is life and I think that Felmer and Louise like the, the film I would say one of the things is you know in that kind of way of making you think about stuff you do watch this film and you realize that every single possible angle when it's just like you say two women just wanted to be left alone to go on a fishing trip it's all just railroaded every single turn by men in some way and it's definitely on the nose like it's they're definitely trying to make a point but uh, like uh, i think you you've you've got in the running order like kind of the diff the various men that they run into and what those men represent because i do think it's it's all very purposeful right the, the way in mm. which the the male characters and the interactions with Thelma and louise have been selected right yeah well so just one i remember as well before we go into this did you know that gina davis has, has started her own institute called the gina davis institute on gender in media did you know this has that, she no yeah, i didn't and it, 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 she founded it in 2004 right but it's really really interesting because she was asked recently on the 20th anniversary i think it was of this or 30th anniversary sorry um she was asked is it is it better now you know are things better now and she was like well not really like it's not like it seems like it is because we're talking about it more but it's still not it's still nowhere near where where she hoped that it would be by now in terms of kind of the opportunities within media in terms of kind of like the just general attitudes that are on display um and susan sarandon said because they were both sort of being interviewed on the on the subject and she sort of said it was it, it was fascinating seeing how people reacted at the time um and then all this all these years later sort of going for roles and attempting to try and get work and even as someone like her she still feels that she's a, a massive disadvantage you know when i heard that i was like yeah. susan sarandon you know like she feels that she's at a disadvantage and i'm not i'm not saying that she's not i'm just saying like to me she's kind of like she can do pretty much whatever she wants do you know what i mean she's she's the boss when i've watched her on all these interviews i'm just i've been sort of almost a bit overwhelmed by just how well you're in awe cool of her, right? she's and incredible control you know? and just like she's funny and she's charming and um and you're like wow you even you susan's random feels like yeah i'm i'm still kind of like i'm at a major disadvantage you know do, like, do you wow. find it it's on that note it's quite interesting really and it's no you know 
it's it's no disrespect to to Ridley, and I I think also it's it's probably offensive in a certain way to suggest that oh a film about women has to be directed by a woman. But it is interesting that Thelma and Louise was written by a woman, but still not directed by one. And I guess really still when you look at the industry, there still aren't that many female directors. You know, the pathway isn't... Mm. So to, 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 to Gina Davis's point, you know, it's, it's still not great, right? Yeah, so there's an interesting story behind this as well in that he was the producer on the film. And so okay. he went out. He essentially got given the script. So they, Callie Curry sent in, essentially tried to get the script in circulation. She'd written it and it, it kind of, there are so many beats in the script that are obviously very, very different from what was going on at the time. Um, mm. And he really liked it. And so he was going out actively pitching it to directors to be like, look, you should take this on. You'd really like this, but it would need to be done like this and it would need to be done like this and it would need to be done like this. And I can't remember whether it was Gina Davis who actually said this to him, but it was, no, it wasn't Gina Davis. It was so, someone else who he has never named, but it was a, a famous female actress who was screen testing for the role of Thelma said that you, you feel so passionately and strongly about this project. And it seems that it has to be done in such a careful and considered way. You need to do it. And he was like, no, it, it shouldn't be me. I, I shouldn't be the one to do it. And then over time, he kind of became more and more convinced that actually because he was producing it, he could give it what it needed and I mean, that's still perhaps on some level, I suppose you could read that as kind of like a, a bit of a, a blokey thing to do, you know, to be like, well, I'll take it from here sort of thing. But at the same time, I think where it may have benefited on some level was having his clout, you know, having of course, him there of course. being able to kind of make it happen. But then equally allowing the film to be what it wanted to be. Because there were so many... I remember we had the conversation recently about um, Gladiator and kind of the ending of Gladiator and seeing that, oh, the studio wants this way of yeah. doing things potentially. And what was really cool with this is that all the way through, I didn't feel... I don't know whether, whether it was the same for you, but I didn't feel like at any point in this film there was a, there was a moment where you're like, oh, studios interfered there. You know? No, and, I, and this, is, this is exactly what I wanted to say. Is that The thing I would say is... I think it, Ridley Scott is, I was supposed to call him by his first name there. Like, <laughs> My man Ridley. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I think Ridley Scott, he, he has delivered this. He's obviously taken the time and the care to properly speak to not only the writer, but you would imagine the, the women on set to really nail this because, and it's, it, you know, it was, it was your point in the running order that, there is a there is a distinct absence of the male gaze in this film. It does feel like it's it's, uh, and I say that. I mean, I know I'm saying this as a man, but I'm saying that because I think even on a rewatch now, I'm looking at this thinking like, wow, a lot of this feels, even a film from 1991 feels quite new to me. You know, when I'm really yeah. when I really think about it. Yeah, and I mean, there was some really cool stuff in there of it kind of flipping that, you know, like having having. Well, should we do like one of the questions I was going to ask you of the mm. eight 
of the eight men that are kind of brought to us in the film, are there any that have redeeming qualities? And who is the one that stuck with you after you watched it? Like, what was the the male character that stuck out to you of like, wow, you're a real piece of shit? I think in many ways, many of them had redeeming qualities. Like, you've seen Michael Madsen, like, Jimmy is somebody who, he clearly has his own demons. He's, mm. you know, a, a failed musician who is unhappy with his own life. You don't you don't really fully know what's kind of transpired between him and Louise, but their conversation is just look, you know, we're just not right for each other ultimately. He has that one violent outburst at the beginning, which I guess intimates that his demons manifest in a you know, in a way of yeah. potential domestic abuse or something, or you know, at least intimidating yeah. behaviour. But I do think they're showing him as, you know, a flawed character but one who does he does sincerely care for louise he does and he does seemingly want what's best for her because when she does tell him in earnest that it's not right and he isn't right for her and in time he'll see that she wasn't right for him he doesn't try to stand in her way you know he doesn't stop mm. her okay he's he's had his immediate his his knee jerk was to come out and see her and be like, hey, baby, don't leave kind of thing. I've brought you the money, but we had a good thing going on. And she is charmed by that in some respect, but also yeah. she stays true to herself and is like, look, this is just a mistake and neither of us are particularly happy. And he he does take on it. So, you know, I think I think he seems like an, you know, an okay guy. I think... You know, Brad Pitt's character, he is a, a self-serving, you know, little weasel in some respects. But in other ways, he saw a certain, you know, I guess, I, you know, obviously, I think he, he wanted to get his end away for, for, for a want of putting it. But I think he still saw something in Thelma that he liked, that he he spoke to her on a level that nobody else had done before, that her husband yeah. certainly hadn't done. He made her feel... Especially made her feel beautiful. He made her feel desired, not just something to be ordered around and to be told what to do. So, you know, I don't know if that's consciously, I don't know if that makes Brad Pitt a, a good guy, but I don't think he ever pretended to be anything else. He he always said, like, straight up yeah. that he was a robber. He he always was very flirty from, from the off and everything like that. But, you know, not... Not everybody that gets romantically entangled has to be in love with one another, you know? Like, sometimes people just have fun and that's that. And I think he, you know, I think he allowed Thelma to see that she did have some power. She had some, in some respects, she had some power over this man. She had a man abandon his own plans to come back to see her and it it, it, it did empower her in a, in a, in a certain way, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of like the ones that are awful, I guess you would say. So who was who was Thelma's husband? Daryl, Michael, um, Chris McDonald is Daryl. Daryl. So, I mean, you would assume that he is a particularly troubled character. He's obviously living this life with her, where he's not. You know, he it's 
it's implied that he's having an affair, heavily applied that he's, you know, she's saying, oh, why would one of your customers want to see you on a Friday night, you know? Yeah. Um, when he first goes out at the beginning, he, you know, he seems unhappy and I guess he's channeling that into her to make her feel miserable and to make her feel small. Um, I, I don't think he's got any particularly redeeming characters in there, but I do think he is presented to somebody that is definitely an unpleasant, well, a heavily unpleasant character, but just a normal, flawed human being, I guess, as opposed to, and I'm saying this in the context of the, what's the, the, the character of the, the, the rapist? Oh, um, uh, what was his, Harlan, I think his name was. So, you know, when we're talking about in, in reference to somebody like Harlan, it's, somebody who is an unrelenting piece of shit who's clearly a sociopath if not yeah. a, a psychopath I, you know i don't know if there's a if it if there's a technical difference between the two i don't think there is um who just wants what he wants who manipulates them who gets them more drunk by buying them more and more drinks to take advantage of her to take her out into the parking lot to you know to assault her to attempt to rape her um and even when he's caught to be so unrelentingly unapologetic about it. Um, yeah. I, I, I think the other, so the other ones you've got there, the other characters you've got, you've got Harvey Keitel as how now his one is quite interesting. I'll come to him in a second. Yeah. You've got the state trooper. And I felt that was a heavy, heavy, that was a big comment on the weakness of men, you know, like the the kind of like that they were they're never more that that they can put on this big bravado, but actually, you kind of when the tables are turned, you're not anywhere near as tough as what you yeah. think you are. Um, you had Stephen Tobolowski, I think I've butchered his name, as as Max, who is the the other cop alongside Harvey Keitel on there trying to sort of track them down. And I found this really interesting because I think I feel like Harvey Keitel's character is the closest that we get to someone having real empathy, you know, and he, he, he seems to kind of like let himself down at three or four moments during the film, but he does, it, it does feel like he wants to help. You know, it yeah. feels like he's like, I know what happened to you, like, and I don't want them. And he's sort of almost arguing. And there is this, there's that scene, isn't there, where they're watching a kind of, I think they're watching like a romantic comedy on TV. And then that, the, the character of Daryl tries to change it to sports. And they sort of like, look at him like, what are you doing? You know, and it like, I just felt there was a little bit of something there to try and help you to see that, Maybe he had some redeeming qualities in him, even though they were clearly a little bit simple in the way that they went after things. Um, and the one that sticks out for me, and I know I've mentioned it a lot already, I, I can't, I find it really hard to get over this, but the, the truck driver. Yeah, like, he's grotesque. I just can't unsee it. And I know that there are way worse actions in the film and there are way worse things that go on. But I think, the thing with that is, is they're just like, 
we've all seen that happen. Like we've all been around that, and we've all like, and these like they when they have it out with him, they're like, why why are you doing that? You know why are you do? And I imagine for a lot of women watching, they've all wanted to ask that question. You know, at, at some point they've wanted to just be like, no, wh- what are you doing? Like, why are you behaving in that way? And they've probably wanted to like <laughs> blow their car up as well. You know, um, yeah. So it would that uh, for some reason that was the one that kind of that was the one that kind of stuck with me. And there was a, another great quote kind of around this. And I can't remember whether it was the writer or whether it was Gene Davis that said it. No, it was the writer that said it. It's like, this is on some level a, a comedy. A lot of this stuff is meant to be funny. Yeah. Well, it's um, a satire, isn't it, in some ways? Mm, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I suppose this is a good opportunity to kind of go on to how it was received at the time. Because I, I, I don't know how much you've seen this, but I've read a lot that a lot of people were very, very upset about the portrayal of men, that it felt like it was male bashing, essentially, that the the entire film was just having a go at men, you know? Yeah. But, (laughs) yeah, I guess, I guess it is, but I I don't feel like it's, I don't feel like it's, it's, it's bashing. It's just trying to present, like I say, some of the examples are somewhat on the nose and yeah, okay, the story is saying like, everything is curtailed by men but i guess it's just using art as a vessel to 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 show people stuff that happens in real life that these everyday occurrences are something that women do have to face they do have to contest um ways in which like we've both said on this podcast that we that you don't even imagine as a man and then you're suddenly like oh does that happen does this happen and I, i thought touching on that kind of that level of satire and the fact that it is it, it is should we say men bashing but it, it does feel like it's a look at the response like the police response to to Thelma and Louise like that's almost comedic in itself right you've, yeah. you've had this one murder occur and I'm not saying that's a minor thing but that results in a whole swathe of like fbi agents camped out at her house tapping their phone calls all this type of stuff when the the point is like look that you're chasing after you're putting pouring all this resource into tracking down these these two women when all these terrible things happen to women every single day and you know louise herself has said like you know when they were saying why don't you tell the police about you know me being attached is like because they won't help us people would just say oh you were dancing with him all night you've had a bit to drink and you know that's 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 essentially their critique on the establishment's response to it whereas you know they've killed these men and then you've got her house full of men and a really kind of like pointed example of this is in one of the clips when i think when Thelma calls home one of the police officers is like looking at a porn mag in the magazine in the in the house did you see that bit as well I didn't i didn't yeah and i just thought like it's just it, it is it is obviously satire but i guess it's just it's showing you all these various different kind of levels to to society yeah. right and the things that women are contending with that 
oh, well, it, it makes men feel uncomfortable to have to watch this because that's all that it is. I don't think there's nothing in there that I watched and thought like, oh, come on, don't be so, look, you know, I'm on board with the message, but that's a bit silly because there wasn't anything that particularly, the most outlandish thing that happens in it really is them shooting the oil tanker at the end and it exploding. But that's, is symbolic in itself, right? It's this huge, great, big, phallic oil tanker that's been following them around, even in the desert, of this grotesque toad of a man sat in there making these kind of like cunnilingus faces at them. And <laughs> who, at the, at the first moment of them saying, like, pull over, jumps out all opportunistically, thinking that, like, these these like, these two oh, women are actually interested in him, you know? That like, was that was that was really fascinating though that that he sort of jumps out like that because I have often wondered what is it that people think is going to happen in that situation, and that was yeah. quite an interesting exploration of that. That maybe that's what people think, you know. Maybe that's literally what they if they do it enough and if they eventually someone's going to be like, oh no, come on, mate, pull up over here, let's go and get freaky. You know, and <laughs> they end up like blow. There's a there's a really brilliant. I don't know if you're a Lee Evans fan, but there's I, I, a, I wouldn't say I'm a fan, but I've enjoyed his stuff down the years. Yeah, so there's a really brilliant. I think it's in the XL tour that he does. There's a really brilliant piece that he does when he's like he talks about this like builders on building sites. I'm not saying these are all builders, just in his example, shouting out like, shouting, Whoa, go on, love, to random women walking past. And he sort of plays this out and he's like, what is it that they think is going to happen as if a woman's going to turn around and go, yes, my future lies with him. Like, <laughs> and <laughs> his sheer rotund belly. Like yeah. it must be him. I'm like, that is such a great observation because most of them don't know what to do when they're presented with somebody turns around and goes, right, what? Yeah, I'm listening. What, what, what? Sweep me off my feet with your unbelievable charm or are you just going to carry on flicking your tongue at me? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's I, I don't know why, but that one, that one stuck with me. That sort of, his character stuck with me a lot. And I, I, just to come back to the point around the kind of like the, the, man bashing type thing that that was i don't i have no idea because obviously i'm watching this the first time man this is just my kind of research for for this week um but i think that's such a simplistic way of approaching the film given how much metaphor there is within the film to take it as just oh it was man bashing and i thought there was a a really great quote on this was that no one is saying that every woman is like Thelma and Louise. So equally, no one is saying that every man is like the men within the film. I think it's just a really good exploration and, and sort of dive into the kind of challenges that that young women face when they're kind of navigating their way through the navigating their way yeah. through the world and it's also set against the really really like one thing we haven't even touched on i just i just absolutely loved the kind of the chase of yeah. the film you know that them kind of being on the run it was kind of a flip on a classic kind of like 
just criminals on the run, you know, to, and they're becoming more badass and more kind of like they get better at it as they go, yeah. you know, and it's kind of, you'll get, I suppose this is a great time to talk about the ending, right? Because they're, they're getting just as they're hitting their sweet spot, you know, when they get away because the police cars get stuck with the bridge and you're like, yes, they're going to do it. They're going to get out of here. And then Louise stays on the phone for like 10 seconds too long. Yeah. And I wondered whether on some level she wanted to get caught. Maybe. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Whether the film was trying to say that, that she kind of, she was sort of had flickers of doubt. Maybe. Well, I or guess the reality of existence of like, where am I running? Where am I running to? Okay. I've yeah. got this idea of going to Mexico, but. Then What's what? the reality of living there? No money. Probably going to find myself in the same situations again with, you know, what I've seen all the way here. That yeah, I mean, it could be. It's a fair point. It could well be that there is an element of 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 her doing that the, herself. You know. So so then then from then we're in the end game because they are then tracked. You know, and we get to this yeah. point where they're going towards the the cliff face how did you feel about the ending i mean I, I i loved it as a as a as for its symbolism you know it's it's the ultimate act yeah. of freedom it's 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 this sense of you know we've we've come too far to turn back now we, we can't yeah. go back to that we can't go back to this life we can't be imprisoned by an establishment by these rules that have allowed all these terrible things to happen to us or to women that we know, but come and chase us with the for with the severity that they have done. It's a, it's a, just a simple like the power is in our hands, and we are going to do what we want to do, and the only way we can do is like Thelma's sister is just just keep going, just go, you know, yeah. because that's ultimately that's what they want to do, and that's that's the power in their hands in that situation. It's the only, but that's, that's the crazy thing, right? It's symbolic. It's showing you their only way out. The only way they had full power, full, you know, agency over their own actions was to, <laughs> to, to, to destroy themselves in the, in, the, in that way, as opposed to go back to this, the might of the, I guess the, the patriarchy or whatever it is. That's, that's, that's following them with, with these helicopters and police cars and, <laughs> You know, it was really cool though, wasn't it? As like the helicopter, cool, like it, it reminded me of like GTA. You know, when the stars yeah, are increasing, yeah, 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 as yeah. you're like, oh my god, there's more yeah. of them now. There's helicopters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now there's like a it's million a police cars and the SWAT teams coming out. You know, it's, it was like that was just really cool. And like you get to that point where they're sort of, and they're facing the cliff face, and I got I got really sad that I was like, oh no, yeah. we, we've reached the end point and i think that was the only way that the film could end did did you know how it ended before you watched it yeah well no i didn't know how it ended i had no idea okay and it didn't get real how did it hit you at the time like what 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 like what and then i kind of like i think a film like this uh, to use a, a sports analogy so apologies for people who are not into into sports, but it, it, sometimes when you watch your team play sport, you watch through the lens of what your team is doing and you don't necessarily 
watch from a bird's eye of what's going on in the game. You just watch what your team and your players are doing. And then often you'll kind of hear people speak about the game and you go like, didn't look like that to me, you know. And I found that with the ending. I found that I was watching the ending through the eyes of someone that was just basically like, I'm watching this for the first time. This has been like adrenaline fueled car chase at the end. It's coming to a crescendo. I don't want them to die. You know, I don't want it. To, mm. I don't want them to die because I would like Ridley Scott says, says he's like, this is the journey carrying on. And your natural inclination is to be like, no, they're going off the cliff. They're going to die. The journey's ending. But yeah. then after time, like I say, the film stayed with me all week. I've been thinking about it all week. You then realize that you never see the car hit the ground. You know, all you see is the car dangling in the air. So it's this idea that the conversation is not done, that, that the, the, the kind of, the thought is left in the air. I think, I think that's one of the other, the other things that Callie Curry said. She said like the idea was meant to be that they're suspended in midair and the ideas should remain suspended and in, in the ether, you know, at all times. Like, so we're still having the conversations all these year, years later because the idea is not destroyed. It's just there, you know, um, yeah. which is really cool. And I, and the, so cool. again, the, the, the other thing is that like the longer that it goes on since I've watched the film, the more I appreciate the ending for what it is. And yeah. I now want to watch the film again, relaxed. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Because I know where it goes and I know where it ends, and I can just kind of like soak it up. Because it's like that you noticing those kind of like little Easter eggs. I, 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 there's probably so much stuff that I missed. Um, but what? But like, I, I mean, did it? Sat, I suppose watching it now this time because you've seen it a few times before. Did you find it satisfying watching it now? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, f I feel like it worked for me. And now knowing that as well, like you say, that the, the idea is supposed to be suspended in time. It's great because I, I guess when, like I say, when I watched this before, I wasn't watching it through any particularly an analytical lens. I just thought, oh, that's quite cool. It's quite an iconic way of ending it. And obviously it, it, it was iconic because so many people had referenced it. But this time I really did just see it as like, this was their ultimate act of rebellion. This was them maintaining the power that they had in this situation that they weren't going to be told what to do by men and they weren't certainly weren't going to be locked up by them um either so yeah i thought it was it was brilliant it's poetic um it was it was just fitting like you can't see that movie ending any other way you know yeah like now i mean yeah it was it really was a, a joy this week i've absolutely loved picking it apart and i've really enjoyed the fact i know i keep going on about it but the fact that i was watching it for the first time was really special um right i'm gonna get you in on this first so i've got time to think oh who's yeah. the mvp I, I can't choose between the pair of them mate i, I honestly I was, I, was, I was thinking about this beforehand and i was just like i really can't i mean i guess gun to my head probably say Susan Sarandon. Yeah. But I, yep. I just think they work so perfectly in tandem. They make one another better. The characters, the way in which they're written, the performances, the chemistry between them, spot on, brilliant, perfect. Yeah. Like, 
amazing. Yeah, magnificent. I, I, um, I will give some shout outs, like a bit of an assist to Brad Pitt because I think his character is really yeah. cool. I think it's a how it's a how great... young is he in that as My well, man? God. Like how skinny and like it's like, so and yet so like I uh, yeah he he was very very good. I thought uh, Michael Madsen as Jimmy was very good as well. Yeah, um, he's brilliant. Harvey Cartel, great. Um, I I think for me, I think I'm probably a bit biased here because I just love Susan Sarandon. I just think she's yeah, amazing. She's, legend, she's just amazing, man. Like, and she just, I don't know how she is still so sort of full of energy. She carries this kind of unbelievable gravity. She looks incredible. She's so sort of, just even in 2023, she's just still just one of those people that just has an aura, you know, just everything mm. on screen. She just is she's just she is so so peak of her powers here um yeah loved it man absolutely loved it and then so go on yeah go on well i was just gonna say mate as i uh pissed all over forrest gump last week i'm gonna ask you first time this time now the ultimate question fine wine or war crime um the finest of fine wines for me this is yeah this is like if I had to kind of like put it in a fine wine space, this is the wine that you keep for a special occasion that you never want to touch because no occasion is ever going to be special enough. And then occasionally do, do, someone just goes, should we have it? You know, and you sit there well, and you the, just enjoy every drop. It's, it's even the wine that the likes of you and I don't have. That It's actually sat... In a in a literal cellar somewhere underneath <laughs> yeah, yeah. underneath the castle that a billionaire yeah. would drink. It's yeah. that because the, there's so much in this film that's that holds up today, right? I I'm sure maybe okay, again I appreciate this is coming from the perspective of a middle aged man, but I'm fairly you know, I watched it with, with my wife, I watched it with Charlotte, who is one of her favourite ever movies, who she oh, thinks it's so brilliant. Lovely. She still think it ticks loads of boxes. It, it's you know, it's I think it's a great movie and I don't think it's even one of those things that, you know, we had the conversation previously about Vesper in, in Casino Royale and whether somebody in 2023 might roll their eyes at it. I'd like to think that people that wouldn't elicit this response. I still think people would look at Thelma and Louise and say, yeah, okay, it's, it's, it's got these things, but to, to, to narrow it down to a film about man bashing is again, it's ultimately men making it all about themselves. Yeah, and you completely yeah. miss the point of the film. Yeah. The film, you know, we're talking about, it's a movie that's, number one, it's a road trip movie. It's a movie mm -hmm. between two friends. It's a movie about freedom. It's about rebellion. It's about, yes, there are elements of female empowerment in there, but it's about friendship. It's about a solidarity in friendship. It's about, you know, having one another's backs. It's about loyalty. It's about, you know, there's so it's about it's about this sense of justice and street justice, people yeah. getting what they deserve. Yeah. There's so much in this film that isn't just about bashing men, you know, it's yeah. it's brilliant. I think there's so much to it and it's, it's well, a great like, movie. And the other thing to put, put, sort of just add in there is that it's it's not a relic. It's not a statue. You know, the conversation around yeah. all of the themes that are sort of ever evolving 
they keep moving forward and, and that discussion keeps getting broader and broader. And the film, I think, has managed to stay relevant in those discussions. Yeah. So it's not stood still. It's not just a statue that's turning more green and kind of aging over time. It's, it, if anything, it's kind of not only the the kind of one of the best practiced examples, but it's also something that I'm sure as time goes on, we'll see more and more layers that we're able to peel away and be like, oh, wow. And it actually did even this thing that we hadn't realized that it was doing, you know, which is, which is just amazing. I guess the saddest indictment on that though, mate, is that <laughs> not much just changed in, in the mm. 32 years since the film came out, you know, that's pr- yeah. for the film to be so relevant still, but you know, um, just look, I, I'll cards on the table. I'm giving this a, a five star no brainer, like a hundred percent maximum possible score I can give it. Um, I did watch it though on my, I watched it on my iPad, and okay. um, I'd be interested to kind of do the rewatch. So I will definitely go when it is showing in June. I'm gonna go and have a have a mooch because it's on at loads of cinemas. I think. I think it's it's either View or Odeon have got the rights to show it again, so it's on in loads of places. So I'm interested to go and see it. I assume it's the same for you though on the on the ratings front. Yeah, yeah, five five out of five, and I will. Uh, I'm definitely keen to go and watch it at Prince Charles after you kind of floated that one. You know, yeah, just so. got the timings horribly wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to know IMDb? Yes, hit me. 7.5. 7.5 on IMDb. Doesn't oh. make the top 250. My God. Now that I've actually worked out as well, I've, I do have to say, <laughs> to this point, I've been basically going on the user score top 250. So that, that's the one I've been saying. That's the one that's got all the recency bias. When you actually look at IMDb's official that producer Purdy kindly pointed out to me. Um, How was that yeah, done? Now I, now I get it more. I, I guess it's just the, the critics, the, their right, internal... Okay reviews it's there i'm not sure how the imdb scores are worked out but it's yeah. done on the imdb scores let's see what rotten tomatoes is saying i'm getting to the point of the pod as well mate where i'm getting excited about what your uh yeah what your choice is going to be felmer and louise critics 86 percent with a certified fresh uh 82 by the audience metacritic have Thelma. And Louise, Thelma and Louise, Metacritic, 88 on Metacritic, but it doesn't get the badge. It doesn't get the badge, but 80, how do they get, how do they decide who gets a badge or not? You know, I I need to have a word with them. Um, 88 on Metascore. I want to find, yeah, I'm going to do a little bit of digging on that and find out how you, how you get it. I'm start petition to like badge up. Maybe we need to give our own badge out. Once you've been on the pod, yeah. you get the the BYOB badge, a little popcorn badge or something, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, is it time? I think it is time, mate. I think okay. it's time. I, I want to know what I'm going to be watching this week. So you said something that got in my head. You said, "Mate, it's too early for the banshees of <laughs> Inner and I was like, okay. "Yeah, bloody is too early for the banshees of Inner but it's not too early for In Bruges. Oh, hello. Hello. Cooey. So, yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah. 
very, very I'm, gassed again, to watch that. I haven't seen that for a long time, mate. So Me neither. I, I haven't watched it in ages. I am interested to see. And I feel like, I mean, talk about gear change from, <laughs> from this week, but um, it's one of those films that I just love. I absolutely love. And I haven't watched it in ages. So... Let's get a bit of that. And I think that'll be one as well that a lot of people, when they when they kind of feel like, when they hear it, it's one of those that you, you can fire up any night of the week, can't you? Just ping it on and yeah. Um, yeah. and you're, you're golden. What a pleasure. It's that a bit like purgatory, so like like Spurs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I butchered that. I butchered that quote, but you, you got where <laughs> I was going. Um, right. Well, I think that's, that's yeah, that's, that's pretty much it for this week. That was quality. That's pretty much it. Other than... If uh, if you know any of the previous pods or any of this podcast has evoked any sort of want to respond, please get in touch. Drop us a DM, send us a send us a tweet. The socials will be on screen, but at byob pod, we're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I feel even uncomfortable saying that as a thirty-eight year old man. But we are. <laughs> yeah, there was we're a little pregnant TikTok. pause there. We're I know on... there was. TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> um, so reach out to us. Get involved. Thank you to everybody that has listened. Please also, sorry to be that guy, but like and subscribe. Please write, leave us a rating, leave us a review on your chosen podcast platform. Or if you're watching it on YouTube, thank you. Hello, I'm waving at you now. Uh, please, you know, leave us a comment. Give us a thumbs up. Subscribe to the pod. Just spread the word a bit. You know, get it out there. But... Hope you're all enjoying it so far. Thank you.